Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Michigan Scapes podcast. I hope all of you guys that are listening had a great holiday because right now, if you're listening to this, uh, it is actually after the Christmas break uh, and just before the new year. So uh, this is actually going to be our last episode of 2023. So the next one will be in 2024. And God, that feels so weird to say because I did not expect it to be 2024 yet. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm ready or not. So, um, but yeah, the next one will be 2024 and this is our last of 2023 and it's going to be a fun one, guys. I, I, this is one of my favorite kind of topics to go over. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about a glossary of photography terms. So there's a lot of technology and a lot of terms out there that you guys might have no idea what it is, especially for photographers that are starting out. So that's what we want to do because here at Michigan Scapes, we're all about number one, learning, uh, exploring and capturing all of Michigan. So we're here to teach you guys uh, what all of this stuff means. So what better way to do that than give you guys a list of some of the biggest, I guess, uh, glossary of terms that you could say. Uh, for photography. And this way we'll go over that with you and you'll have kind of an idea of what you're hearing when we hear us talk about it. So uh, I have our other half with us here, Christina. And um, after that, I will uh, let her talk for a quick minute and then we will get right into it. Hey guys, this is Christina Wiggins and I'm so excited that we have gotten past that Christmas and heading into the new year. Um, it, it, it does not seem real. It just like Ryan said, it does not seem real, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but it is. Um, and we have a heck of a year coming for you guys. And we want to make sure that you are prepared for that year. So there is so much learning that's going to go on. And we want to kick you off with a bang and make sure that you're ready for that learning. And you have a good sense of um, all of the things that what, what we're going to say, what that means to you. So um I know sometimes you will hear people talk, you'll hear us talk and you're like, what, what, what did she say? Or what did he say? What did that mean? Um, and so we want to give you guys a good sense of all of that, what, what we're saying, what does that mean? So um, this is going to be one of those episodes that you're going to want to bookmark so that you can like hop back to listen oh, to again, sure. if you need to. Um, we have a great list um, to go for you guys. So um, I think one of the things we're going to start off with today um, is is talking about the difference between the crop sensor and the full frame sensor on a camera. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because uh, truly there's, there's no wrong or right sensor to go with. They're just right. different. Um, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I started with a crop sensor. Um, oh, yeah. Same here. Yep. And um, I know a lot of photographers who are um, professional photographers who are selling their work, who are photographing people, high school seniors, families who are still working with crop sensor cameras. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I did make the jump to a full frame sensor. um, And and what we want to do is we want to first quick talk about the difference between the two so that you guys can understand what's crop sensor, what's full frame sensor. Um, and, and it kind of is self-explanatory um, yeah. in the sense of if you think of it like a like a TV, <laughs> think of it like a TV, um, it, it's um, that 
the frame of the TV, you look at the diagonal, right? So when you're looking at a picture, um, if you take a full frame camera and a crop sensor camera and you set them side by side, and you have them um, on the same um, the the same depth of field, the same um, millimeter. So say like a fifty millimeter shot, aimed at the same subject, um, they will get the same picture. But when you look at the actual picture that you've taken, what you see, you will have more uh, of the picture in frame for a full frame than a crop sensor, because part it, it's kind of cropped that picture down with the crop sensor. It can only handle so much data. Um, so one way um, to think about that is when you think about like a TV and the diagonal of a TV, um, how it measures like your 55 inch your 35 inch your 32 inch, you know, however it is, right. Um, your crop sensors typically are like what, like one and a half, uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think it's one one point five. Yeah, for Nikon, it definitely is. The Nikon yeah. DXs are are one point five um, of the full frame. Um, I think Nikon, Sony, one, uh, one other is at Fujifilm. Yeah, um, yep. those ones are all one point five, and and there's a couple that may be a little different. Um, but so if you want to actually just kind of bump that up a little bit, you're just losing a little bit of that image when you do your crop sensor. Um, than when you have your full frame, if that makes sense. Um, the, the only other difference I can tell you with a crop sensor versus a full frame, I think for me, I feel like the, with the crop sensor, it just seems like with the full frame, there tends to be a little more light than with the crop sensor. Um, and that I, I find more at nighttime for me with my night photography. Um, yeah, the the full the full frame is is definitely better for uh, I guess light sensitivity and picking up more light and allowing more light in. Uh, I believe your ISO range can go uh, higher up with the with the full frame as opposed to crop sensor as well. So some cameras you'll notice will start at you know ISO four hundred or you know two hundred or something like that. With the full frame cameras, uh, you could actually get it down very low to like sixty four. Uh, I think might even goes to like minus 0.03 um so if it's extremely bright or something like that or you're doing a really really long exposure you want to bring that iso down so uh and if you don't know what iso is we'll be getting into that here shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so uh the the only other thing i can say about the crop sensor and the full frame sensor is um so like my mom carries one of my crop sensor cameras right now um oh. and i carry my full frame and if we go out to photograph something together um, and we're trying to get the same exact image. A lot of times she'll have to back it up <laughs> right? Exactly. to get the same image that I'm getting. Um, <laughs> I can stand a lot closer, so I'll get more in the frame. So, exactly. um, yeah, so there, yeah, there we go. Great way to think about it for sure. Yeah. Next thing we want to talk about is aperture. Um, aperture is one of those really hard things to teach to somebody. Um, right. it, a lot of people, a lot of people will say it's like the pupil of your eye and, and the aperture is really the opening of your camera. Um, and that's what allows light into your camera. Um, and it, where people get mixed up with this is based off of the number and it seems counterintuitive. Because, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that starting off. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but the the way aperture is me- measured is based off of a number. It's called an F number or an F stop. Um, 
And so you'll hear my aperture is wide open. And when it's wide open, um, it is usually the smallest number, but it's the biggest opening. So a lot of times it'll be like, um, you'll hear maybe 1.4, 1.8, 2.8. Those are usually your widest open apertures, right? Right. Um, And those are the biggest openings. Um, And then on the flip side, if you'll hear um, that I'm stopped down or I'm, you know, I have a, a small aperture, the number is much larger. Um, so sometimes that'll go to like F16, F22, and it's a very tiny opening. So it's letting in very little light. Um, and your aperture does uh, several things. It doesn't, it's not just about how much light is it letting in to your camera. But that also um, affects your depth of field. So uh, when your camera is, it's allowing in the light, but it's also choosing um, kind of how much of the image that uh, you're, you're photographing is um, in focus, if that makes, if that makes yeah, sense. Right. Yep. So, yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to Aperture? Uh, yes. I was just going to say, so, uh, more in terms of the, you know, the focus thing. So if you're, if you're shooting a subject, like say a portrait or something like that, or you have a single subject that you want in focus, but you want the rest of it blurred out in the background, you want to use that lower aperture. So the 2.8, 1.82, that's going to give you that really nice, uh, what would they call bokeh in the back. So uh, as another term here you guys got for you, uh, bokeh is going to be the the blur basically. So as uh, I believe Christina puts it, um, how do you you phrase it? (laughs) You like that phrase, huh? I like the phrase, yeah. Yeah, so bokeh, I like to call it purposeful unfocus. (laughs) Exactly, purposeful unfocus. That's so perfect a way to put it, yeah. Yeah. So, So if you're looking, you know, you see these nice images that are so crisp with, you know, a portrait and the whole background is blurred out. That's how you're going to do that is using that lower aperture number. So the F 2.8, like I said, uh, and that's going to give you that nice bokeh, that nice blur in the background of it. And if you're looking to like, say you're shooting a street light or something like that, and you want to have, um, the starbursts out of your, uh, out of your lights, you want to use the higher numbers. So, uh, F 16, F 11, F 22, all of those are going to give you starburst out of your lights. So it is a cool effect. So it's there's nothing wrong with using either one. Uh, if you have a big group family shot or something like that, you'll want to also use a higher f-stop because you're going to get more in focus. So to make sure that Uncle Bill and Aunt Joe are uh, in focus, you want to make sure that you're using uh, you know the higher higher f-stop number for that. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's those were the things that I was going to add. But yeah, definitely. Uh, that yeah. is definitely aperture. <laughs> yeah, that's a great ad. I love how you you grabbed some bokeh in there and talked about some keeping some things in focus. Yeah. Another thing to talk about when we're talking about focus is shutter speed. Um, so shutter speed, your shutter is the is the is kind of what I like to refer to as your curtain that opens and closes, right. um, and that's another part of your camera that's allowing light in. Um, and the speed of that shutter determines how much light is coming in. Um, and it also determines, um, motion blur. So, um, if you have, are photographing an object that is in motion, you're going to want to have a very fast shutter speed. Um, so typically like one five hundredth, 
um, one one thousandth, something super fast. Um, if you're photographing something that's pretty stationary, not really moving, then I, I typically stay around the like one one twenty fifth, one two fiftieth. Um, and then if you're photographing something and it's super dark out, it's nighttime, you don't have to worry about moving. Well, now you can go way slower. So sometimes you can go like three seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, depending on um, how dark it is and how much light you're trying to let into your camera. Um, but just remember the slower your shutter speed, you need to make sure you have that tripod to stabilize your camera because just Definitely. because your shutter is staying open and, and you don't have movement outside of your um, camera um, in terms of your subject, your camera could be moving. So that could cause a different kind of blur. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the one thing to remember with, with that is so cameras do have, uh, as well as lenses, some of them, uh, they do have built-in image stabilization. So if you're doing a handheld, so image stabilization, it's basically going to be the either the cameras uh, or the lenses correction for any kind of motion blur and uh they do have a couple different settings they usually have normal or sport mode um so i usually will use it a lot of times if i'm if i'm going into sport mode or from using uh like shooting planes or uh birds or something like that it works very well if it's handheld uh the one thing you need to remember though is to take off the uh image stabilization if you're on a tripod so if you're on a tripod and you have that on some cameras it'll actually create your picture to be blurry because what it does is it makes small little movements uh to basically correct and so it thinks that when you're on the tripod when your camera's not moving that it actually is and that's where you're going to get that motion blur from uh from your image stabilization being on so just a key thing to remember there if you know you're if you're on a tripod and you're getting blurry i would check that uh to make sure that that is off if you're on the tripod so absolutely i know there was one time <laughs> one time that we thought that maybe there was traffic driving by that was causing my blur <laughs> and, exactly. we, and then we realized my image stabilization was on it was exactly. like oh whoops it's <laughs> <laughs> so true yeah and and you know so in Another way, so um, ISO is something to obviously consider when you're taking pictures. So you heard us talk about ISO. Um, the one thing about that is it, that's going to be basically your your camera's sensitivity to light. So um, I'm not sure what the actual term, what the actual acronym stands for. I'll, I'll have to uh, come back to you on that one. <laughs> but um, but basically, when you have a lower ISO you're not going to have as much uh, noise in your in your picture. So you will get digital noise the higher ISO you go. Um, but if it's, if it's very dark outside and you want to obviously have a more sensitive shutter to your light, whatever light is out there, uh, you want to raise your ISO. So, um, you know, 800 to 1,000, generally for our Nikon photos that we take, um, we can usually get them up to 3,200 uh, without really getting much grain at all just because of uh mine is a mirrorless camera um as well as you know with uh being the full frame that christina uses um but it's just one thing to remember is that you know with with your iso you're going to get that digital noise the higher you go so if you're at twelve thousand eight hundred, you're going to be seeing a lot of uh the white specs purple specs and stuff like that where the pixels are broken uh basically 
Um, and that's going to give you that digital noise like that. So if you're outside and it's a bright day, use that lower ISO, you know, 100, 200, 400. Uh, if you're shooting night photography, if you're like us, you could actually still use a very low ISO like that. But um, some cameras will need a little bit higher up to a thousand, two thousand, stuff like that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nikon, for allowing us to use the low ISO and <laughs> not having I, I all that <laughs> yeah, not having all that digital noise. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so it comes in so handy. And one thing you could actually use uh to help with your focusing. So there's a couple of different types of focus. You have AF autofocus. Um, and you have MF for your manual focus. So autofocus, that's going to use your focusing motor within your camera or your lens, depending on how it's set up. Um, and that's going to focus for you. That's going to find your focus point when you basically select that in your camera and you say, I want this subject focused, uh, you know, this, this part, that's what's going to bring your focus in. If you're in manual focus, um, you can still do this with the, with the newer, uh, lenses they allow you to switch over um, but also with like the old lenses that you get from uh, film cameras a lot of times you'll need to use manual focus if you're using this on a newer camera so uh, they do have adapter mounts so if you have old cameras out there with old lenses don't think you just need to throw them away because you could still possibly use them on your newer digital camera as well um, and you'll, like I said, with manual focus, that's exactly what it is. You'll have to manually find the focus point. Uh, it is very handy though, when it comes to like macro shots. Uh, so with you being able to find the focus with the manual focus, uh, it comes in very handy for stuff like that, for close up ideas, you know? So. Yeah. As well as night photography, cause you know, exactly. you, you definitely do not want autofocus exactly. <laughs> happening when yep. you're out shooting, uh, the, the night skies because, um, <laughs> a lens trying to autofocus at night is not fun. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. You'll, you'll notice your, uh, your focus will go blurry every time. So if you, if you do go out and do night shooting, focus on something bright first, put it at infinity. Um, so as far away as you can get it, usually like a lamp post or the moon or something like that. And then once you have that focus, switch it to manual. And then this way you'll always be in focus and not have to worry about your, your focus motor going and trying to find the focus for you in the middle of the dark, which it obviously can't do because <laughs> it's too dark. Absolutely. And uh, if you're shooting in sport mode or something like that, so this is this is actually what I use all the time. So um, a lot of people will, uh, I know, use this all the time because it just it it, it feels better. I guess you could say uh, yeah. when you're when you're trying to focus. So it's called back button focus. So um, on the Nikon cameras, there is actually a uh, AF on or sometimes it's AF dash AE. Uh, autofocus auto exposure button on the back of the camera usually kind of right where the thumb would be at um, next to the display or the info um, so this is actually a great way to find your focus very fast so especially if you're shooting sports or kids moving and stuff like that um, I've just gotten so used to it I just leave it on all the time same um, yes yeah so it's it's a great way to do it so instead of holding your uh, your shutter, click down halfway to focus your back button focus is going to allow you to focus a whole lot faster and it's going to give you that ability to you know move your focus points find the focus again really quick and then take the shot so if you have to hold down your shutter release uh, that's going to take a lot longer to focus 
uh, and you might actually miss the shot that you want to get. Yep, absolutely. So um, next we have up on the list. Uh, so the different kinds of SD cards. So there's SD compact xqd uh we have mini micro or mini or micro sd cards so these are all basically variations of what you're able to uh put into the camera in order to uh hold your pictures so they come in all different types of sizes um you know you anywhere from uh 24 gigs or you know uh 64 gig all the way up to 250 gigs so um this is what you'll be able to use. And a lot of times, many, many cameras that I know of uh, would use SD. Mine actually uses XQD, which is very expensive, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so there's there's always a different amount of what the car can hold. So just be sure to look for, um, you know, usually 64 or, uh, or 128 is the most popular. Um, you want to make sure, though, that your writing speed is going to be fast enough. So if you're shooting in 4K video uh, or shooting raw photos like we do uh, with the, the larger formats, you want to make sure you have a card that's going to be higher up, um, you know, for for accepting those images and writing them fast enough. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these, some of the cameras are very specific on the type of card you can use. Some of them right. have dual slots. So I know a lot yeah. of... I wish uh, mine per- had a dual slot. Uh, the, yeah. That very handy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so speaking of when you're talking about the the format of the picture that you're taking, yeah. um, there's different formats of pictures, RAW, JPEG, PNG. A lot of cameras will allow you to take your photo in JPEG or RAW or sometimes JPEG and RAW together. Right, um, exactly. And and both Ryan and I recommend that you take your photos, your images in raw, um, because that is going to allow you to have the most data to be able to salvage. Um, say you're in a, a super hot, sunny spot um, and maybe you can't, you don't have the time to get your settings completely proper. Um, right. You have the the most opportunity to be able to salvage um, pulling the detail out of a, an overexposed image or something that maybe is completely underexposed to be able to pull some data out of the shadows. Um, so having that raw data is the best data to have. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I do find myself, um, (laughs) I can't seem to break myself of this habit yet. I seem to find myself still shooting in raw and JPEG. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I I did that for a long time. Yeah. And occasionally I'll flip and I'll get myself just in raw, but but so I I don't know why because I don't touch the JPEGs ever but yeah um, but I still find myself shooting in both but um. <laughs> and JPEGs oh. are also going to be a lot smaller in size too so your raw files so when you yes. have like an SD card that's sixty four gig uh, you'll notice that if you have just raw you'll have a different amount of pictures you could take than compared to if you have uh, JPEG turned on so yes correct. Definitely. Um, so we have a, a couple of different f- uh, focus modes. So a- as you're shooting, uh, they have AFS and AFC, you'll hear uh, a lot of times. So AFS is going to be your uh, your single exposure. So when you click the shutter, it's going to click and take one picture. Uh, when you have AFC, that's going to be your continuous. So 
you're going to be able to basically hold down your shutter and take multiple pictures at once. So, um, and I love it. I know I'm <laughs> giggling right now. <laughs> I'm giggling right now because there is, a um, another parent who, um, whose child runs with my son, um, and is also in band with my son. And so, and I always know when that parent is at a function because I can hear his camera like, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I would call it the rapid fire. Yes. And and I love it. Cause, yeah. Cause it's like, and I'm like, oh, yep. There yep. he is. <laughs> so, yes. Um, but continuous does have a place for sure to, yeah. to be able to do that continuous. Yeah. If you're shooting, doing the, so. the sport mode or yeah. uh, like I do the Thunder Over Michigan uh, air yeah. shows, that is, or birds, anything like that, anything yeah. in high motion. Uh, some kids yeah. <laughs> they can come in handy with, with kids shooting as well. Yeah. Um, but man, yeah, it comes in so handy when, when you're doing stuff like that, when you don't know what's going to happen next and you want to make sure that you have as much, as much in focus as you can, uh, then definitely use that AFC. It's going to come in handy for sure. Absolutely. And on the camera itself, you'll notice, uh, and I think this is pretty much all all the uh, professional cameras that I've seen will have uh, what they call PSAM. So um, the priorities of your camera. So P stands for program mode, which is basically where your computer, where your not your computer, <laughs> your camera yeah. is uh, is picking a lot of the settings for you. I believe you can change your ISO, um, but program mode is basically like an enhanced auto mode. So a lot of the cameras will have auto, which is where the camera chooses everything. Program mode, like I said, you can change a couple things. Um, it may be that you're able to, you know, change things one at a time, and then the camera will basically do the rest. Um, so S mode is going to be your shutter priority. So wh- what that does is you're able to change your shutter speed. So if you know you want a very fast shutter speed, your camera will basically go and figure out what the aperture should be, what your ISO should be and everything like that. So um, your A mode is going to be your aperture priority, which is where you set your aperture. So if you want a 2.8, so you know you're taking a picture of something and you need just that one area in focus, set that, and then your camera will set the rest, basically. Um, The mode that me and Christina use uh, is manual mode. So, um, And that's really what we kind of like to teach uh, is getting people onto manual mode. So, you know, when you're out there taking the photos, you want to tell the camera what to do. You don't want the camera to tell you what to do. That's right. So we like to think of it this way. It's like driving a car. You want to be able to tell your car how to get you (laughs) where you want to go. We don't want your car deciding to turn left on you when (laughs) you know you shouldn't be turning left. Right. Right. If, if you're, there's nothing wrong with your camera making some of the decisions. Um, but here's the thing when your camera is making those decisions, it's handing you an image that you artistically did not create on your own. Um, and when you're in manual, you 100% created that image and told your camera how to create that image. And that's our goal for all of you is to be able to do that. So, Definitely. Um, it, so I, I always tell people, if you can, if you can drive your camera, why let your camera drive you? Exactly. <laughs> so, that's yeah. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so 
some of the things that you can, uh, some other settings that you might see uh, in your camera itself. Um, high ISO noise reduction. So this is an option. I know at least Nikon has it. I don't know about the other ones, but I'm, I'm sure they got something very similar. Sure, yeah. Um, so when you're when you're shooting in your higher ISOs like your twelve thousands and you know eight thousand stuff like that, this is basically your camera's way of going through and trying to remove noise as much as it can. So um, it kind of does it before before it shows you the image. It, it basically processes it really quick uh, before your your image comes up on the back of your screen. So. Um, it's kind of just a way to help you help you out if you're in that uh, high ISO range. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that when you um, pop into a Michigan Scapes workshop or class, the first thing we always teach is um, called the exposure triangle. Yeah. And we teach everyone how to balance the triangle. We're not going to go through that with you tonight, but um, I always tell people you have to balance that triangle. And I, I know that it gets frustrating for some of the students because they're trying to figure out how do they make that perfect image and not have the noise? Because <laughs> that's always the thing, right? How do I not have right. the noise? Um, and something that can ha- help with that um, right. is to bring in something extra like an off-camera flash, um, something else exactly. to help bring in light um, that can reduce that the the noise or the the having to switch out one of those those uh sides of the triangle so much so having bringing in something extra to help so um there's a lot of ways you can use off-camera flashes there's a lot of different types of off-camera flashes so many Um, yeah, there really is. Um, in fact, I, I like to tell people like off-camera flash is really any light source. Right. Um, it can be as simple as uh, like Ryan likes to use the light on his cell phone uh, yeah. to light paint uh, when we're doing night photography. And you wouldn't think a simple light on a cell phone can light something up enough to make a difference in a night photography or a night image, but it does. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, um yeah, yeah. And, and exposure exposure compensation. Um, so a lot of cameras will have this on top, kind of near the shutter release. Um, so this is another way. If if you're finding that you're you're high up on um, your settings and you can't really go any higher or lower based on you know what you need, um, you can you can adjust your exposure compensation. So what this does is this basically adds or removes an extra stop or two. Uh, to your exposure. So it would be like you're coming down from F4 down to F2 if you raised it up uh, exposure plus two. So um, that's going to allow more light in. And basically, it, it makes its own adjustments in the camera uh, to try and bump the, the the brightness of your picture up. Yeah. Something else you can do is called bracketing. Um, Absolutely. And Nikon has that ability right in the camera to be able to set bracketing up to where um, that's that's going to, uh, you set your camera up and it's going to take an image that's exposed perfectly to what the camera says is exposed perfectly, (laughs) uh, an image that's underexposed slightly and an image that's overexposed slightly. And it's going to put those together. Well, you're going to put those together when you get into your post-processing. So right. um, that's a, another 
term that you're going to hear Ryan use quite a bit is bracketing. (laughs) I I use bracketing constantly, especially landscape shots, cityscapes. Uh, It just, it does a great job with pulling out the correct shadows, the correct highlights, and then your correct midtones. So um, it's definitely, definitely worth it to use. And uh, we'll have a class coming up very shortly uh, about how to do all that stuff. So um, we kind of walk everybody through it and so you kind of have an idea of how to how to use bracketing. And once you use it, you'll very likely not go back. So, yeah, for sure. For me, depends on I, the you know situation of what you're shooting. But but yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, I see another one on the list here that I love to talk about. Um, I see blue hour, golden hour. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. So golden hour is one of those hours. I'm a portrait photographer, um, as well as going out and shooting the nature and golden hour is big for portrait photographers. Um, that's that's a very sought after light for people um, for portraits. And so that is um, that they the the hour of time uh, right before the sun sets Um, and it creates uh, gold, gold light. um, So that yellowish tone Um, and then blue hour is uh, it's, it's more of 20 minutes of time. Um, It's a much shorter time. It's still called blue hour, but it's a much shorter time uh, period, but it is uh, more of a bluer purpler type of a light. Um, and it's created more when the sun is down, when it's first set on the horizon. Um, but the, but you still kind of get the light from the sun over that horizon. So it's not pitch black yet. Um, and so that is some really cool, uh, cityscape shots. A lot of times Uh, cityscapes. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of the the night photographers and and the landscape photographers will love the blue hours. So, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if if you're going through your images, so um, sometimes if you have a very sharp contrast, so if it's bright during the day, and say you're shooting up into a set of trees with uh, dark branches. One thing you'll notice is uh, it's called chromatic aberration. So mm-hmm. what that is, and it, it basically it depends on whether you know the type of camera you're using, the type of lens you're using. Sometimes you're not going to notice it. Other times you'll notice it a whole lot more than others. Um, so what this is is if you look very closely, um, you'll see like a purple haze uh, that goes around the darker areas. So this is because there's such a sharp contrast um, that the way your lens works, uh, it doesn't really compute the color the right way. So, uh, that's what gives you that purple haze around, around your images. Um, and like I said, and you, you can easily remove this though in Lightroom. So, um, and that'll be part of our class as well, how to remove that. It's very, very easy to remove, uh, very fast to remove. So, um, if you have a, if you have an editing software like Lightroom or Photoshop, um, definitely don't, don't stress over seeing that in your images, you know, um, cause it is easily fixable. So. Yeah. All right. So this next one I'm going to bring up, this is going to be the, one of these things, Ryan and I have this thing where <laughs> he's like, what is she going to say? <laughs> <laughs> we have this thing where we like to debate. How do you pronounce words and places and things? <laughs> so is it, is it vignetting or is it vignetting? Is I say vignetting. 
I say vignetting too, actually. Okay, so we yeah. say it the same. It's okay, because, key, okay, so we have this the same, and now we're going to have tons of people tell us we're both wrong. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So vignetting. Um, it, so I'm going to talk about this two ways because vignetting can happen in the the uh, period of time where you're actually taking your image with your lens. Right. Um. <laughs> And it it is where um, shadow is created on the corners of your image, um, or it can happen in post, and it can be something that some people are like, "Yes, we love the vignetting, right. add it to our image," and some people are like, "Oh my gosh, where did that shadow come from? Take that out of my image, <laughs> right?" right exactly. So, and, and to me, I think it's hilarious because you either love it or you hate it, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So. Um, for me, I don't mind a little bit of vignetting, but a lot yeah. of times when I'm doing landscapes, I don't want it. Right. Um, it, 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 and I guess it just depends. Um, could be, sure. it could, because I guess if I'm in the woods and stuff, I don't mind a little bit of vignetting. Uh, um, but yeah, that's going to be that shadow. Now, on the flip side, you can also do vignetting where it um, isn't the dark. It's not the black, but it, right. it's white. Um, so you can, uh, what would you call that? Do you call that a specific thing, Ryan, where you flip the vignetting and it's lighter? Yeah, I, I would almost say like a like an invert. An uh, inverted vignetting. Inverted vignetting, yeah, yeah. Um, it's still a vignetting, but um, but most of the time you're going to see it where people put make it darker. But there actually is um, it, that can happen in the process of taking the image, and it can happen in the editing process as well. Um, and that is something that <laughs> if you have a crop sensor. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you put the wrong lens on that camera, oh, yeah. you will definitely get <laughs> vignetting. That is a that is one way to do it for sure. Yeah, that's the wrong way to do it, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the uh, if you have lens hoods as well, so yes, yes. That's the one. I that took me forever to realize too. I'm like, why am I getting this stupid shadow shadow outside? And yes, it was because I had the wrong lens hood on. So yes. if you're, that's the one thing to watch out for is you're, if you're using the lens hood to keep the sun away, you yeah. might be adding a vignette to a your, vignette. your shot. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so for the, sure. The last thing here uh, is your, your metadata. So, um, or what we call exits. Yeah. Uh, I know it was another term I've heard. Um, so your metadata is going to be basically all of your settings that are, are kept in your in your picture. So you can a lot of times pull this up in Lightroom and Photoshop. Uh, there's apps out there that can do this. So this is going to be able to basically show you what you used when you took that picture. So um, if somebody says, you know, what's your metadata or what's your EXIF data, um, you could tell them, I use this lens. This was the ISO setting. This was the aperture, shutter speed, all that. All that is going to be in your metadata. And then in Lightroom, there's actually ways where you can customize your metadata and add your copyrights to the photos. So if anybody tries to steal your images, you can actually go into the metadata of that image and find out, no, this is my image. <laughs> it says my yeah. copyright right in there. So don't be trying to steal it. So uh, I, I use it all the time. It comes in very handy. And uh, we'll be having a class on that part as well uh, coming up so that you'll be able to 
basically know how to edit all of that and put in what you want. So yeah. So guys, this is not all of the terms that you're going to hear in photography for sure. But this is like a crash course in the basis of what you are going to hear, um, what you're going to hear from Ryan and I specifically in the beginning of the year. So, um, yeah. So thanks for hanging out. I hope that you made it through this far. If you have any questions about any of the terms you heard, um, definitely send us a message, post it on Facebook. Um, let us know so that we can answer that question for you. And I guarantee if you have the question, somebody else does as well. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, as we come into the new year, uh, jump out onto our website, michiganscapes.com. Check out our workshops that are coming up. We have some space for you at our ice tour, uh, which we will be staying at the guest house in the um, Headlands International Dark Sky Park in Mackinac City uh, in February for a weekend. And we will be crossing over the bridge into the Upper Peninsula. We will be seeing frozen Tequamanon, the the Ebon Ice Caves. Um, We will be heading into Munising. Uh, We will be checking out, hopefully, the Blue Ice makes an appearance in Mackinac City. We will be checking that out. We will be doing some night sky photography and some Mackinac Mighty Mac bridge pictures. Um, and we have so much ready to pack into that weekend. Um, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Uh, we also have a weekend coming up in April that is all about night skies and Aurora. And also we are going to have some urban exploration, um, that's coming on that weekend. So I know that we have some people pumped for that. Um, definitely. I know I am. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know you are because we can't go anywhere. Ryan and I can't go anywhere without he sees something abandoned and it's like, oh, we have like to off s- the side of the road at yeah. 8 miles an hour. Stop yeah. Oh my God, it's abandoned. Ah. Yeah. And sometimes I have to reel him in. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. In July, we have uh, the, the cityscapes in Detroit and the Thunder Over Michigan uh, air show. Uh, and that is a very limited spot, you guys. I know yes. that it feels like July is such a long ways away, but we are very limited on the space on that one. So if you want in on that, you really better get your spot now because yeah. that is super limited. Um, when those spots are gone, there are no more spots. There will yeah. be no more offered. There are no more to be had. Um, and, and I'm telling you, we have less than a handful Less right. than a handful. That that means less than five. Yep, <laughs> so, exactly. um, so you need to get those ones if you want in on that. Um, Absolutely. Yep. And then we have so much fun coming for you guys in the new year. So definitely jump on with us next week because we are going to talk to you guys all about um, everything that you can expect from Michigan Scapes in 2024. Um, so. Absolutely. Thank you guys, everybody, for supporting us in 2023. You guys yes, have... An amazing um, year with Michigan Scapes. It has been an amazing year. You guys have brought us to where we are, and we are just so thankful for that. And we are so thankful for all of you. And um, we're excited to see where we're going to explore with you guys, what you guys are going to learn, and what all everyone's going to capture. So um, thank you for hanging with us this year, you guys. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes. See you in 2024. And hear you in 2024, I guess you could say. Yeah. (laughs) Take care, everybody.